All right, good morning, everyone. <clears throat> it's hard to believe, but we have, um, we are on chapter 31 of Genesis, which means this is the 31st week uh, that we've been here, so it's just seems like we started yesterday. It's been seven and a half months now that we've been uh, in the book of Genesis. <clears throat> Hopefully that uh, we, we have all learned something and enjoyed it. I know that I have uh, both learned and enjoyed. But we will be today in Genesis chapter number 31. <clears throat> Quick recap of last time in chapter 30. Uh, we saw uh, Jacob's family start. Uh, he, she, he had... Uh, sons with Leah, and one daughter was mentioned. Uh, he also had sons with uh, <clears throat> Leah and Rachel's handmaids, uh, and then the uh, 11th uh, son was Joseph, uh, and Joseph was born. There's still yet one more to go. Uh, there'll be a 12th son <clears throat> uh, that is going to come. And then it started talking about uh, the wages. Uh, so we ended up the chapter, <clears throat> it was talking about how that uh, Jacob now had, had worked his 14 years uh, for uh, his dowry for his wives, and now he is working uh, to get uh, possessions for himself and for his family. And they worked out a deal with, uh, between him and his father-in-law, Laban. And basically, uh, all the white sheep that were born would be Laban's. Uh, so the, the good sheep uh, and all the uh, good cows and the good goats, the black goats, and those that are spockled, uh, spotted, speckled, and ringstraked. That word ringstraked means striped. Uh, so the, the less desirable offspring would be Jacob's. And we saw that Jacob was using selective breeding. He was breeding uh, <clears throat> the healthiest cows and the healthiest goats and the healthiest sheep uh, and breeding them in a way that they were uh, mostly yielding spotted, speckled, and ringstraked so that uh, he was building uh, up for himself and God was blessing. So that's where we end up. Now we're in chapter 31. We'll start reading here in verse number one. And he heard the words of Laban's sons, saying, Jacob hath taken away all that was our father's, and of that which was our father's hath he gotten all his glory. And Jacob beheld the countenance of Laban, and behold, it was not toward him as before. So here God is blessing Jacob, and they made a, a deal, uh, and it seemed like once they made the deal, uh, the majority of the goats, the sheep, and the cattle were born. Uh, the majority that were born were ended up being uh, Jacob's instead of Laban's. Now, is that because <clears throat> Jacob was using that selective breeding and different things? Yes, it was, but it was mostly because of the blessings of God. So God was blessing Jacob. Uh, he was fulfilling the covenant that he made with him, and he was God's man uh, who was the head of God's chosen people. Uh, so God was blessing him, and through the blessings of God, uh, Laban's son and even Laban himself says that his countenance was not toward him like before. All of a sudden, 
there started being a little bit of envy and strife and jealousy and things like that. Uh, you say, but why would they be jealous and envious? Well, that's, you know, jealousy is not always reasonable. Uh, <clears throat> we've all seen it. Most of you have seen it in your life. You know, if something good happens uh, to someone, other people tend to be envious of that. Uh, if, if somebody, um, you know, gets a good job or even <clears throat> I've seen it at work to where you have somebody that has uh, experience and they have a degree or whatever in the field and, and they're up for promotion and the, the, the person that everybody would agree is the most qualified gets the promotion but then yet there's other people that are envious of that and uh, are they get mad at the person that something good happened to and it's happened that way in church uh, even as preachers we have to be careful because it's easy for the devil to get in our heads when another man stands up and preaches and God blesses and you're like, well, you know, God didn't bless me the last time I preached like that. So, it, you know, the devil even tempts us to be envious of one another. And uh, the same thing happens with singers or teachers or people that testify. It doesn't matter. The devil can sneak in our minds and he can plant seeds of envy and jealousy when it doesn't even make sense. So here, God is blessing Jacob, and in the process of blessing Jacob, he is also blessing Laban. So Laban is getting richer by the moment, but because the blessings of God fall a little heavier on Jacob than it does on Laban, his sons now are starting to rise up and, and starting to get disgruntled, and even Laban is starting to look at Jacob in a different way. Now, in verse number three, he said, The Lord said unto Jacob, Return unto the land of thy fathers and to thy kindred, and I will be with thee. So it wasn't God's will that Jacob stay in Haran. It was God's will that he went there, okay? But it wasn't God's will that he stay there. And that's something that we have to realize in our Christian life that not everything in life is permanent. Okay. And a lot of times people, you know, whatever it is uh, in our lives, uh, if, we, if we have to, you know, do, do I wish that I, that I lived in the exact same house that I raised my sons in and they could come back home to the home that they grew up in? I wish, but that's not, that's not how God worked my life. Right, and we've lived in multiple homes, and even when the boys before they uh, left home, I think we lived in I think three different homes while they were growing up, uh, you know. And I was always envious uh, when I was, uh, you know, we, my parents moved around, and we lived in a lot of different houses. And I had some good friends that they they uh, their parents grew up in that house and when their parents passed away they took the home and and a good buddy of mine he grew up him and his sister grew up in that house and his uh his dad now has passed away but his mom still lives in that same home <laughs> you know so when they go when they go to christmas they're going to the same place that they've been since they were born uh I was always a little envious of that. I was always envious of those people that had a home place that was always there and it was in the family. Uh, but that's not how God works everything for us. But the other thing that we have to realize here is that God is preparing a situation that is basically going to force Jacob 
to go where God wanted him to go anyway. So sometimes when God wants us to make a change in our lives, he makes where we are uncomfortable. <laughs> because that's his way of getting us to, to go where he wants us to be. <clears throat> so sometimes it's uncomfortable. So this situation becomes uncomfortable. And in the midst of this discomfort, God tells Jacob, hey, I want you to go back to Canaan. I want you to go to the promised land. That's where you need to be. So at this point, uh, he had been in the will of God. He was where God needed him to be and wanted him to be. But now moving forward, God says, I need you to be somewhere else. So God is moving him and he's creating a situation that makes it uncomfortable. Uh, so sometimes, listen, can God tell us uh, what his will is and we do it? Yes. But I, you are just like me. We're human and we're stubborn. We don't like change. Most people don't like change. I don't, I don't want things to change. I want them to stay exactly the same. My wife, she, she uh, laughs at me all the time. I, I, I want the same deodorant. I don't want to change deodorant. I know the deodorant I like. I'm going to get that deodorant. I went to Walmart neighborhood market down here in Lynn Garden yesterday. They did not have my deodorant. So I drove all the way down to the super center. They did not have my deodorant. I was frustrated. I, there's, other, there's a bunch of other deodorants there. I'm not getting another deodorant. I, want, I don't like change. That's how we are. And we're the same way in our Christian life. And God knows that. So sometimes God has to give us a boost. What do, what do mama birds do? They line the nest with really soft feathers and really soft things. But when it comes time for the baby birds to leave the nest, they tear all that out and now there's thorns and, and sticks and everything. It's very uncomfortable. And the little baby bird says, ooh, I don't like this nest anymore. And it makes them leave. It makes them go away. Right? So sometimes that's what God has to do for us. God sometimes has to make it obvious. I had a friend of mine, uh, he was dealing with a decision in his life, uh, something that needed to change. On the outside looking in, when he explained to me his situation, it was obvious to me what God wanted him to do. And so I asked him several questions uh, about his decision and about the circumstances he was in. And I just asked him this one thing. I said, okay, I know what you want and I know what, how you feel uh, and you don't want to feel like you're letting people down or whatever. I said, but what does God have to do to show you what he wants? I said, is there got, does there have to be a news broadcast that come on that says, hey, I want you over here? Is there going to be a billboard that says, Terry, I want you to do this? I said, what, what does God have to do to show you? And I said, so read, read the circumstances that you're in. If God's making the situation extremely uncomfortable, but yet there's an open door, I said, that's God's way of saying, hey, I don't want you here. I want you to go do that, right? So that's where we are here with Jacob. God's making it uncomfortable. He's making it obvious to Jacob uh, that he wants him to go and... <clears throat> Sometimes when God blesses us, other people, even other Christians, can get jealous and envious of that. All right, um, verse number four. Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah uh, to the field unto his flock. <clears throat> and he said to them, I see your father's countenance, 
that it is not toward me as before, but the God of my father hath been with me. And ye know that with all my power, I have served your father. So Jacob wanted to have a family meeting. Now, he didn't go home and have a family meeting in his tent. And he didn't even call the whole family. He didn't call his, his other two wives, and he didn't call any of his children to this, quote, family meeting. He sent and uh, told some of the servants, they went and got Rachel and Leah and brought them out to him in the field. So he wanted a private conversation. He didn't want anybody to hear this. He didn't want the rest of his family to hear it. He wanted to have a private conversation with just his two wives, the two sisters. And then he goes on and he, he uh, says that uh, their father is not looking at him the same way. I'm sure they knew what was going on. They probably talked to their brothers. They heard what their brothers were saying. It was probably not a big secret, okay? So there's a lot of different ideas about why Jacob did this, uh, that his other two wives weren't important to him, whatever. I think it was just simply because he was wanting to leave because God told him to leave, and he needed to talk to his two wives because those were the daughters of Laban. And if he's going to take his wives away from their father and away from the home that they've known their entire life, he wanted to get their input. He wanted to see how they felt about that. He needed to have a conversation with them and say, look, this is what God told me. This is what we need to do. And he was going to get their input. So this, to me, shows a strong marriage. Because even though Jacob obviously was the head of the household, even though God told Jacob what to do, Jacob still involved his wives in the decision because they needed to be on board with it because we serve God as a family, as a home, not necessarily as individuals. So when we serve God, we must serve God together. Uh, now, does that mean that he needed to get permission and talk to his children? No, because his children were just that. They were his children. But his wives uh, was a different story. So that's why I think that he called just the two of them uh, because they were his chosen wives, right? They, they were the ones that he married. Uh, the uh, handmaids were given to him by his wives, so he didn't choose those. Uh, but the handmaids were not important in the sense of he wasn't taking them away from their family. He was taking Rachel and Leah away from their family. Uh, and then in verse number six, he said, you know that I have, that with all my power, I have served your father and your father hath deceived me and changed my wages 10 times, but God suffered him not to hurt me. <clears throat> so here's the thing. We now get a glimpse and we're going to see this again later on in the chapter. We get a glimpse into the, uh, life of Jacob and the relationship between him and Laban. So Laban was 100% all about money, okay? He was about money and power, uh, and that's what he wanted. So that's why he tricked Jacob and married off Leah, because he got seven years of free work out of Jacob for a wife that he didn't want. So then he said, well, I'll give you Rachel too, but I need seven more years. So he got 14 years 
uh, out of Jacob and unloaded a daughter that nobody wanted to marry, right? So it was a win-win for him. It was actually a win-win-win. Uh, so he got, he got a lot out of that. Um, so now uh, they made this agreement at the end of chapter number 30, and then Jacob now is telling his wives, you know that I have served your father, I have worked hard for him, and he's changed my wages 10 times. So here's what happened. When Laban saw that the majority of the uh, sheep that were born were brown, Laban come up and said, hey, I've changed my mind. I, the brown sheep are going to be mine and the white sheep are going to be yours. So Jacob said, okay, well, guess what? All of a sudden, the sheep started bearing mostly white instead of brown. <laughs> Same thing with the goats and the same thing with the cow. So every time, and that's why Laban, every time that he saw that God was blessing against him, blessing for Jacob, he would go change the agreement. He was constantly changing. He changed it 10 times, uh, changed this agreement 10 different times over the course of six years, uh, which, is almost, which is more than once a year. <laughs> Right? I used to work for this company that we would get quarterly bonuses. And there was all these criteria. You had to meet a sales goal. You had to meet, you had to do operating expenses, all these things. Well, what would happen is I worked for that company for nine years, and literally every two years they would change the bonus plan. Now, were they changing the bonus plan so that we could make more money? No, they changed the bonus plan because we figured out how to maximize the bonus plan and they were paying out more bonus money than they wanted to pay, so they would change the bonus plan. So the first year, we wouldn't make that good a bonus. The second year, we all figured it out, and we made maximum bonus, and then what did they do? They changed the bonus plan again. Eh, they got that from Laban. <laughs> okay? Somebody read Genesis and said, I'm going to do what Laban did. I'm going to constantly be changing so that, so that I can maximize me and minimize them. That's what Laban was doing. He was changing the bonus plan. Every time they figured, every time it, he could see that Jacob was coming out ahead, he would switch things up. Yeah, it does, it does sound like the federal government, doesn't it? Uh, I, could, I could go into a lot there. I've got a, a lot of examples just came into my head, but I'll, I'll pass on that. <clears throat> but that's where we are. So now Jacob is having this conversation with Lee and Rachel, and he said, you know that your father has done me wrong, right? He's deceived me. He's tricked me. He's, he's changed my wages 10 times, and I've done nothing but work hard for him. And verse number 8, if he said thus, the speckled shall be thy wages, then all the cattle bear speckled. And if he said thus, the ring straight shall be thy hire, then bear all the cattle ring straight. Thus God hath taken away the cattle of your father and given them to me. So here's the thing. We have to remember as Christians that God is in control. And when people try to cheat us, mistreat us, and take advantage of us, they, we need to understand, that's why the Bible tells us, vengeance is mine, I will repay, thus saith the Lord. It is not my job to get back at people that do me dirty. You want to know why it's not my job? Because that's my father's job. And I will tell you that God's justice runs true and it's sure. And God, listen, if you really want to get back at somebody that's doing you wrong, here's what you do. Leave it up to God because God will pay them back in a way that you and I could have never thought of. Because God knows 
people's weak. God knows how to get people, right? And that's why the Bible says that what are we supposed to do for our enemies? We're supposed to pray for them. We're supposed to do good for them that despitefully use you. And what does it say? You shall heap uh, coals of fire upon their head. If you really want to make somebody angry that's mistreating you and taking advantage of you, do something good for them and be nice to them because that will really make them mad. If you really want to make somebody mad that's doing you dirty, go do something good for them. That will, that will infuriate them. If, if you do something mean to them, they love that because now they get, they get to call you names. They get to say bad stuff about you. They get, to, they get to show everybody that you're not a good Christian. But when you return good for bad, that will infuriate them. And what we're doing is we're just letting God handle it because God knows how to handle it. God will handle it in a just way. You and I do not have the wisdom, the experience, or the knowledge to be able to uh, pass judgment and, and produce justice, but God does. So <clears throat> that's what Jacob is saying here. Every time Laban would switch it up, God would switch it up. So God can bless us in spite of how uh, people try to take advantage of us. And he said, God's taken away the cattle of your father and he's given them to me. Verse number 10, it came to pass at the time that the cattle conceived that I lifted up mine eyes and saw in a dream and behold, the rams which leaped upon the cattle were ring straight, speckled and gristled. And the angel of God spake to me in a dream saying, Jacob, and I said, here am I. He said, lift up now thine eyes and see all the rams which leap upon the cattle are ring straight, speckled and gristled for I have seen all that Laban doeth unto thee. I am the God of Bethel, where thou anointest the pillar, and where thou vowest a vow unto me. Now arise and get thee out of this land and return unto the land of thy kindred. So God showed Jacob in a dream how that he was blessing him and how that God was moving. And he said, I can see what Laban has done to you. And I have paid, in a sense, I have paid Laban back. And he said, now you get up out of this place and get back to Bethel. Remember, Bethel was where he laid his head on a pillow of rocks and God met with him there. That's when God changed his life uh, and he became a servant of God and the promise of Abraham was given to him by God and he anointed that place and called it Bethel, uh, which means that it's the house of God or the home of God and the place of God, and so God now is telling him to go back to that place. So he's, he's telling his wives this. This is not happening now. This happened uh, probably the night before, but this is the story. He's, he's revealing to his wives what God has done. So he's making a case. Now, verse 14, Rachel and Leah answered and said unto him, is there yet any portion or inheritance for us in our father's house? Question mark. For we are counted of him as strangers for he has sold us and hath quite devoured also our money <clears throat> so this is how Rachel and Leah responded now remember Rachel and Leah were at each other's throat over Jacob's heart and over who could have the most sons and all this kind of stuff but here we see they're united right they are in a 100% agreement basically what Rachel and Leah said is that we, have, we, we will get nothing from our father. We have no inheritance, basically, is what they're saying. So 
Our brothers are going to get everything. We, we are as strangers to him. Basically, Laban, they know their dad cares nothing about them. He sold them off, not, not because he loved them, not because he wanted to see them happy, not because he wanted them to, to be prosperous and, and have a life full of love. He basically wanted money and power, and that's what he saw. So he sold off his daughters to Jacob for 14 years of, of labor, uh, free labor, so that he could be profitable. And they said, we're like strangers to him. He, we mean nothing to him. He sold us like slaves. So they're basically saying, we got nothing for our father, and you're not going to upset us a bit by taking us away from this place. So they're basically giving him uh, permission. <clears throat> and they said that he has devoured also our money. So in other words, not only uh, has he uh, not going to give us anything, but he's taken everything and used it up anyway. Verse 16, for all the riches which God hath taken from our father, that is ours and our children's. Now then, whatsoever God has said unto thee, do. So Rachel and Leah both agreed that God has taken all that stuff from our father and has given it not to Jacob, but what did they say? It's ours. Is that not how a uh, marriage works, Right? I mean, we make a joke, right? I, I joke and say that my money is, is our money and her money is her money, right? You know, she has her own money, but I don't have my own. I, I, I have a share of our money. She has her money, right? I mean, but we joke about that. But is that not how it is? J, Rachel and Leah said, God has given it to us because we're a family. We're, we're in a marriage here, and there's no, there, there's no his and hers. Everything is ours. Okay, now, I will say that the motorcycle is mine. I'll say my motorcycle. And when Angie talks about the Explorer, she says her car, right? Because she drives it mostly, so it's hers, right? I bought it because that's what she liked and what she wanted. You know, I liked it too. But, I mean, we say that. But in reality, we both would agree that the vehicle is our car. The motorcycle is our motorcycle, right? The, the home is not my home that I allow her to live in. It's not her home that she allows me to live in, okay? It's our home, you know? Uh, so everything that you have, once you, once you get into the marriage, everything is what you would think of as mutual property, <laughs> okay? There is, no, there is no mine and yours. Uh, you know, even, even the dogs, right? We got two dogs. One dog is mine and the other one is hers, right? It, because one dog I picked out, the other dog she picked out, right? So we say that's, you know, and I'll, I, if her dog, if the little dog does something bad, I'll call it your dog. You know what your dog did today? You know, just like the kids, right? If, the, if my sons did something good, they were my kids. If they did something bad, they were her kids, right? But they were always our kids, right? Uh, so here's where uh, Re Leah and Rachel both said, you do what God said to do. Now, we can say what we want to about Rachel and Leah. They 
had a mind. They understood what was going on. They understood the dynamics of the family. And they also were believers in God because they said, you do what God said. Uh, and that's what a good wife, a good husband will do. The priority in the home is not what's best for me. It's not what's best for my wife. It's what's best, what God wants us to do, right? What, where God wants us to be as a family and what God wants in our lives is, should be the priority always. And that's where it is here with, uh, in Jacob's home. Uh, verse number 17. And Jacob rose up and set his sons and his wives upon camels. And he carried away all his cattle and all his goods, which he had gotten, the cattle of his getting, which he had gotten in <clears throat> Padanaram, for to go to Isaac his father in the land of Canaan. And Laban went to shear his sheep, and Rachel had stolen the images which were her father's. And Jacob stole away unawares to Laban the Syrian, in that he told him not that he fled. So basically here, Jacob sees a perfect opportunity. Laban goes off to shear sheep. So he goes off into probably a far, a far away pasture where he is, uh, shepherds were keeping the sheep because it was shearing time. So Jacob says, aha, Laban's gone. All the servants are gone. We can sneak out of here right now. And he probably had this plan for a few days. He knew that it was coming up shearing time, and he's like, okay. He got everything ready. He said he put his wives and his children on camels, and here Laban goes off to shear sheep, and they pack up shop and hit the road. And a couple of things that it says here, it says that uh, he carried away all his cattle and all his goods. So basically, Jacob was leaving forever. He packed up everything. Right? He, didn't, he didn't leave anything behind because he wasn't coming back. And the, the important thing about the phrase where it said he carried away his cattle, he only took, and usually when the Bible uses the word cattle, it means herds. Okay, So the, Jacob had cows, he had goats, he had sheep. We know that because it was called out before. So he didn't just take what we would think of as cattle. When th this word here, cattle, means all his herds. So he, he basically only took those that were his. Okay, that's what's important here. That way, nobody could say Laban couldn't accuse him of taking something that wasn't his. He only took his cattle. He took his sheep. He took his goats. He took the herds that God had given to him, and he took everything, and he got out of Dodge, and he snuck out of there while Laban was gone. Verse 21, so he fled with all that he had and he rose up and passed over the river and set his face toward the Mount Gilead. And it was told Laban on the third day that Jacob was fled. So somehow somebody found out about it and went three days later and went and told Laban, hey, Jacob packed up shop and hit the road, took, took your, your daughter's all your grandchildren took everything. Well, maybe he just went out to another field. No, Laban, you don't understand. All the tents are gone. Everything is gone. It, it's a big empty field <laughs> where his home was set up. Everything's gone. He took everything. This is not a temporary trip. He's gone permanent. So Laban finds out about this um, <clears throat> three days later. 
All right, verse number 23. And he took his brethren with him and pursued after him seven days' journey, and they overtook him in the Mount Gilead. So it took Laban seven days to catch up with him. Why did it take him seven days? Now remember, Jacob is moving his whole entire family, all the herds of cattle, sheep, and goats, uh, and they got a three-day head start. So Jacob was moving pretty darn quick, all right? Because he had a three-day head start, and it took four more days on top of that for Laban to catch up with him. And Laban wasn't taking herds. He took, it says his brethren, which means basically he took his sons and some of his servants, and he was angry, and he's going to get Jacob. Jacob thinks he's going to leave. He's got another thing coming. I'm going to go get him, and I'm bringing everything back. That's what Laban has in his mind. And it took him seven days to catch up with him. <clears throat> um, and he overtook him. Verse 24, And God came to Laban the Syrian in a dream by night and said unto him, Take heed that thou speak not to Jacob, either good or bad. So the night before... Laban catches up with Jacob. God shows up. And he tells Laban, Mister, you better be careful. Because Jacob is my servant. And you better be real careful what you say to him. And you better not do anything bad. And you better not do anything good. You better mind your P's and Q's. And ladies and gentlemen, we have to put our faith and trust in God. Because God's got our back. He says, I will repay, thus saith the Lord. We got to leave things up to him and we got to understand. Listen, you better be careful. Even as a Christian, you better be careful when you attack another Christian. You better be careful when you attack the man of God. You better be careful when you attack the deacons. You better be careful when you attack people in leadership. You better be careful when you attack a fellow Christian uh, because they are God's children, right? And I had two sons. And when, when one son would attack the other son, I would step in. I, I did not let either son mistreat the other one. And if you're a parent you, and you had more than one child, you didn't let your children mistreat each other either. Okay? So if you want to get on God's bad side, start mistreating one of his children. Even if you're his child, you will still catch um, discipline from God. And for the lost world that wants to attack the church and wants to attack God's people, they better watch it. They better be careful because you don't want uh, God on your bad side. You don't want to be on God's list, okay? So we need to be careful. I, I take it, listen, are there churches that, that preach some doctrine that I don't agree with? Yes. Are there churches that have worship styles that I don't agree with? Yes. Are there churches that do things that I think is probably not the right thing? Yes. But I learned a long time ago that I am not going to stand on the outside and I am not going to pronounce judgment on how somebody else serves God, how they worship God, the kind of music that they sing, or, or anything else, because that's between them and God. I have, to, I have enough problems worrying about what I do. Right, so I just look at. I had, I had. Uh, there, there was a group of. Uh, I hate to even say this, but it was a group of preachers. We were standing around talking after a tent revival one day, and they started attacking this one Baptist church in the local community and started attacking the pastor. 
started putting him down and started talking about the ministry and about how bad everything was. And when, when it come time for me to speak, right, because everybody said their piece, and I just kind of stood there, and then everybody kind of looked at me like, what do you think? This is what I told them. I said, all I know is this. I have a friend of mine that was out of church. His family was out of church. They were, they're good Christian people, but they wasn't in church. And I know this. I know that their teenage kids... They started going to that church. Their kids got in church, became very active in that church, and now they're going regular. That's all I, all I know is you can say what you want to about that church and about that pastor. It made a difference in this family. That's, that's all I know. I don't know what goes on in their church because I don't go there. We can speculate. But God, listen, God can use this church even if you and I aren't perfect and don't always do the right thing. And God can use the church down the road even though they're not perfect and they don't always do the right thing. Because God's bigger than our mistakes. Wouldn't it be sad if God would only bless this church as long as we did everything perfectly right? We would never get a blessing from God, folks. <laughs> because we're not perfect and we don't always do everything right. So aren't you glad that God doesn't bless us based on our merit? He blesses us based on the fact that he loves us and he's going to do what's best for us and he's going to do that for the church down the street. So if we don't agree, listen, the only doctrine that's going to determine whether or not we go to heaven is the doctrine of salvation, right? Every other point of doctrine, doctrine is important, but not, doctrine that doesn't determine salvation, there's no point in arguing about it. There's no point in having, in having hard feelings toward other Christians that we're going to spend eternity in heaven with because we don't agree with them on where paradise is or whatever else kind of thing that we want to... See, we nitpick doctrine that is not relevant to eternal life. Because if, they're preaching, if that church is preaching the same doctrine on salvation that we're preaching, then they're going to heaven and we're going to heaven and we're going to be in heaven together forever. So why in the world are we attacking each other down here? Anyway, all right, so um, verse 24, and God came to Laban, I already read that, said, be careful what you say to Jacob. Laban overtook Jacob. Now Jacob had pitched his tent in the mount, uh, in the mount, and Laban with his brethren pitched in the mount of Gilead. And Laban said to Jacob, what hast thou done? that thou hast stolen away unawares to me and carried away my daughters as captives taken with the sword. What in the world is Laban talking about? Jacob took his wives and his family and he said, you've taken them like, like you've stolen them captives with the sword. I got news for you, Laban. The man can move his family wherever he wants and he don't need your permission, right? But that's what Laban said. Laban said, you've, you've stolen away my entire family. 27, wherefore didst thou flee away secretly and steal away from me and didst not tell me that I might have sent thee away with mirth and with songs and tabret and with harp and hast not suffered me to kiss my sons and my daughters. Thou hast now done foolishly in so doing. Now, do we really think that if Jacob would have told Laban, hey, I'm leaving on Monday and taking everybody with me, that Laban would have thrown a big party and sent him off with, with songs and a joyful departing. No, it would have been a problem. He knew it. Jacob knew it. His daughters knew it. 
everybody knew, listen, they knew Laban. <laughs> Jacob knew Laban. His daughters knew their father, and they knew what he would do and what he was capable of doing. Uh, but he's saying, oh, I would, have, I would have done all these good things for you. Um, listen to verse 29. It is, in my, it is in the power of my hand to do you hurt. So he says, I kill you right now. I could take everything you have because he brought all his sons and all his servants with him, right? He, they, they got on horses and chased them down. And he said, it is in my power to do you hurt, physical harm. But listen to what he said. But the God of your father spake unto me yesternight, saying, take thou heed that thou speak not to Jacob, either good or bad. He said, the only reason I'm not whooping your tail right now is because God told me I better not. <laughs> That's basically what he's saying. He said, you'd be in serious trouble, Jacob, if it wasn't for God protecting you. But he said, I've got the power to do it. Verse 30, and now though thou wouldest needs be gone, because thou sore longest after thy father's house, yet wherefore hast thou stolen my gods? So here is the thing. We're going to see that Rachel snuck into her father's house and stole the, his gods, his idols, and took them with him. So Laban finds out that Jacob left. Then he goes over there and sees that his daughters are gone. All his grandchildren are gone. All the herds and everything are gone that he really felt like belonged to him. And then he goes into his house, and Jacob came in and stole his idols. On top of everything else. Well, we can see why Laban's really upset, right? Why he's been out of shape. <clears throat> Jacob answered and said to Laban, Because I was afraid, for I said, Preadventure, thou wouldest take by force thy daughters from me. Now, in the notes, I want to read this part. Jacob answers the charges and gives Laban his explanation, Because I was afraid. What a great statement of faith in God. Is that a great statement of faith in God? I have so much faith in God that I was afraid of you, so I had to sneak away. All right? Now, we can, um, <clears throat> we can ridicule Jacob for that, but we got to understand in the notes, there can be no greater obedience than to obey in the face of fear. I do believe that uh, Jacob could have and should have gone about things in a different way, but he decided to obey God no matter what the consequences might be. It would be easy to ridicule Jacob for his methods, but we cannot deny that he stepped out in obedient faith. Jacob had lived with Laban for the past 20 years, and he knew what kind of person Laban was and what he was capable of doing. So we can say Jacob should have stood up to Laban. He should have told him straight up. Either way, despite the consequences of what he was pretty sure Laban was going to do, he still obeyed God. And that's what we have to do. We need to obey God irregardless of the circumstances, irregardless of what we think the consequences might be. We have to stay true to God and obey him, and we got to give Jacob credit for that, even though we, say, we might say, well, he probably should have done it differently. Then in verse number 32, he says, Whomsoever thou findest thy gods, let him not live before our brethren discern that thou hast with me. Take it to thee, for Jacob knew not that Rachel had stolen them. So we're pressed for time. So basically what happens is Laban starts looking for 
his idols, his gods. He goes in to Jacob's tent. He goes into Leah's tent. He goes into everybody's tent. The last tent he goes into is Rachel's. And uh, there was a uh, some type of saddle that you put on a camel, and it was in her tent, and she was sitting on it. Well, when her father came in, she did not get up. It was custom that no matter what the age of the child, that any time their parents came in the room, that they would stand in honor and respect. Well, she had hidden the idols that she stole in uh, the saddle uh, bags of the camel, and she was sitting on them. And what she said was, Father, forgive me, basically, for not standing up, but the time of women is upon me. In other words, she was going through the regular thing that women go through, right? So she said, that's why I'm not standing up. So therefore, he could not search the saddlebags because uh, she was sitting on them, and he had respect for his daughter. So basically, he never found the idols. So then Jacob gets in Laban's face, basically, and says, here you've come and you've accused me. You've made all these accusations. You changed my wages 10 times. You've mistreated me, and now you catch up with me. He said, put everything of yours that you found, put it out here for everybody to see, and let my brethren and your brethren decide who's right or wrong. So he said, let, let all the people you brought and let my sons and daughters. He said, you put out here what I stole from you, and you let them judge on who's right, me or you. So did Laban have anything to put out? No, because he didn't find anything. So then uh, Laban uh, decided that they would make a covenant with each other. So they came together and they built a, an altar and they sacrificed on the altar and they set it up and they said uh, they made a, a non-aggressive covenant with each other that they wouldn't attack each other, that they wouldn't, neither one of them would go past this point in aggression toward the other one, uh, and they made that uh, covenant between them. Um, in the notes, Charles Ryrie says, Laban and Jacob made a mutual non-aggression pact. Its features included God as a witness, the pillar and the heap as a boundary marker, and the covenant meal to seal the arrangement. Uh, suspicion permeated the entire agreement. Uh, in verse number 50, uh, Jagar, Saluth, and Galid uh, both mean heap of witness, the former being Aramaic and the latter being Hebrew. Mizpah in verse 49 means watchtower. Um, so in verse number 50, Laban was attacking Jacob because he basically said, well, you're going to go get other wives and you're going to start mistreating my two daughters. And he said, if you do that, God be a judge and a witness between the two of us. So basically, he was threatening, threatening Jacob. But Jacob had no intention of mistreating his wives uh, or anything else. All right, so we will uh, pick up in chapter 32 uh, next week.